Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brian Echo and Ken Show. Hello. That's Brian. We got Brian with us. Yay, double Brian. B. I call him Double B because it's Brian Banks. Double B, right? I've been calling him Double B for years, and he always looks at me like, what? What are you saying to me? <laughs> Welcome to the show, the big show, the NemoNews.net podcast. We are... The oldest show. The oldest podcast in Northeast Missouri that we know of. That we know of. And really, we're the only one that matters. So we don't really care if we're wrong, right? Well, we do. We don't want to be wrong. But we're not going to print a correction about it. Welcome to the show. We're here in beautiful downtown Edina, Missouri, not far from the four-way. And everybody knows where that is? We are at the four-way. We're at the... Well, we're nearly at the four-way. And we have Brian Banks with us, who is... He's everything in Knox County. Brian does a lot of stuff. He's the uh, he's the co manager at the Knox County Ambulance District. He is. Are you the chief or the what's it called for the rescue squad? It's the just the captain. The captain, captain of the Knox County Rescue Squad. He's uber involved in <clears throat> all kinds of things, including uh, he, they did a bunch of stuff at the Christian Church over Christmas and. Things yeah. of that nature. I what unfortunately else? was out of town. I would have loved. I want to go to the to the uh, uh, nativity scene, but I, unfortunately, my wife made it. But I was out of town. I had a ball game that night, so it was. Real, I wanted to see that. I wanted to see the camels and stuff like that. I had camels and sheep, and I heard it was cold. Cold, but not as bad as it could be. Yeah. So what was it I, like compared to last year? Last year was nice too. We've been lucky. We've had two nights, and it's been great. Hopefully, you're planning to do it again. Planning on it. So, I want to see it. I've not not been in town to see it yet. You guys would get on in the radio broadcaster thing because Brian became a radio broadcaster as far as he got the rig to broadcast uh, radio signals so that people could listen to the program in their car. That's cool. I bought a transmitter. Cool. So... Whatever I want, I can transmit it. I got a seven little seven watt transmitter. That's cool. You're right. I would. I'm into that. And I hit the table. I'm the one who does it now. I said, "Hey, nobody hit the table." And of course, I'm. Hey, the you one see, does my it. hands are not on the table. Yeah, at these all. guys are fine, and it's me banging the table. Welcome to the show. Uh, we're gonna. We've got an interesting show today. We got another part of our opiates series, and we're gonna talk about Brian and some other things too, because he is the. He is, if you look at the, the poster for Involved, his is one of the faces that's on it in this town, in this community. And also, we want to, uh, we, well, first of all, let's do the disclaimer because we have to do the disclaimer. Okay, are you ready? I am. Best I was born ready. These are the views and opinions of Brian, Ken, and Echo. They are not the views and opinions of... The Nemo News and Media Group, which includes the following: Edina Sentinel, the Clarence Courier, the Shelby County Herald, the Media in Cahoka, the Lewis County Star.com. And the NemoNews.net.com. And they're they're not, I'm going to assume, they're not necessarily the views of the Knox County Ambulance District or... The Knox County Rescue Squad. Right. They're Brian's views. <clears throat> my, my views. These are Brian's views. These are Brian's views. So hopefully we're not going to say anything too outrageous. I'm pretty sure we're not going to say anything too outrageous. 
But, uh, hey, let's get right to it. You you have an idea of where you want to go with this, so I'm going to let you just take the lead. I just wanted to talk to Brian a little bit about opiates because he's on the front lines as far as, like, emergency responders have been going through. As far as I know, uh, you know, the state's been handing down all kinds of new different information. There's been new requirements. There's new drugs. Um, that they're supposed to carry, different things they're supposed to do. So I'm hoping that um, we can just, like, conversate about that a little bit so we can um, just kind of learn where feel like Ken and I are scratching the surface as far as, you know, breaking it's really, into Really, this it. is entirely outside of my wheelhouse. It's, just, it's something I just don't have any knowledge at all of other than what I hear and read, and that's, you know, so... Are you guys responding to opiate? You know, you know. Surprisingly enough, no. We just have not had that many calls for that to be. You know, we do go to overdoses, but a lot of times that's a, a turns out to be prescription drugs, not necessarily the the narcotics or your opi- opioids as you're referring to, which is also sometimes called narcotics, which covers many, many different things. We do carry the Narcan or uh, the Naloxone that the state is letting, uh, like the highway patrols, supposed to be carrying it now for uh, specifically uh, the heroin overdoses that they're seeing in the cities. How does that work, Narcan? Well, uh it reverses the uh, opioid in uh, emergency situations. I think the doses there, and I'd, we'd have to check with Highway Patrol to see what it is that uh, the, the state is given. But they can give theirs nasally, which is like a, a 0.04 milligram injected up in the nose. Uh, that will save victims, providing you have enough of it because you don't know how much of the the drug they've taken. So it may take multiple doses of Narcan to keep them going until you can get them to a hospital. Oh, wow. Uh, we carry two milligram uh, syringes. We've got two milligrams of Narcan in it. And we have that, we give Narcan not just for anybody that's uh, unresponsive, that's in our protocol, because we don't know what's made them responsive. Could they have taken a drug overdose? We don't know. We just got called to somebody that is unresponsive. And we check their uh, blood sugar. They could be diabetic, you know, blood sugars drop, give them some D50, get them going. Uh, we give them the two milligrams Narcan if it is an opiate. We can start to reverse that. They'll start coming back around. Then we know they've taken an opioid and have overdosed on it. So then we have to keep giving them that all the way to the hospital because if they've had a really big dose, two milligrams of Narcan didn't get us very far. We'll wear off. Right. And that lethal dose just stays in their system and keeps... So it just comes back. I mean, so you know they'll do uh, blood draws at the ER and find out just what level of what they've taken and how much of the Narcan. They might even hang a drip. Wow! Over a time. So, so when you do it, you're just injecting. 
We do an IV push. You do you? Okay. Yeah. And then like, the highway patrol and them would have the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe the theirs spray. is the the nasal injection because you know they're they don't have the I, yeah, needle I, set up like we do. IVs are kind of a, kind well, of a different. Well, you have, have all kinds of special certifications or training and stuff to inject yeah, I mean, things into people. Well, IVs are a big deal. Anytime you break the skin, that's considered an invasive procedure, and. You know, you have to have protocols and yeah, doctor like, order to do that sort of thing. Now, just I'm just curious because this is something. Now, I'm let's say you you walk in, somebody calls you, I'm laying there on the floor, I'm out. Okay, um, you have a protocol that you have to go through to what you can do to me. Correct. Right. And so you assess, obviously, am I breathing? Yada yada. You got your uh, way beyond the scope of our podcast. But you know, before you stick me, do you have to talk to the doctor? Is that no, no, I don't. Okay, I didn't know. I didn't. Nope. Uh, we can. That's all in our protocol, mm-hmm. written protocols from our medical director, and uh, those things. That's kind of just a standing order. This is what you do down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's something we think we need to do that is not in a protocol, then the hospital we are transporting would be our uh, uh, go-to med- medical yeah. control. Yeah. Whoever the ER physician at that hospital, whether it's Quincy, Kirksville, Memphis, they become our medical control. We contact that emergency room, get the doctor on the line, say this is what's going on, and he can either suggest or approve what we're, we tell him we'd like to try. And then we can do it without a written protocol. Okay. I didn't know how often you you got people that were just non-responsive. I didn't know if that was a really common thing or if it's a... It's not. Uh, And nine out of ten times, it's usually diabetic problems. Mm -hmm. So When people are non-responsive. Yeah. Have you ever worked the Narcan and seen it work on someone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. For some reason, I always think of like smelling salts. The old school smelling salts where like I've never seen them work in real life, but I've seen them on TV where they the person snaps too and then they're just fine. Is it like that or are they just drowsy? It depends like on the dose of whatever they've taken. Uh, some of it is they're, they'll come to a little, but they'll be combative. Ooh. Because, you know, the, the, the brain's just not registering everything until we've given maybe a couple doses. Uh, but for the most part, one of the things, and I brought some papers that tells one of the first things they want to do is throw up on you. Mm. So we've kind of learned how to guard against <laughs> that. So, because uh, that's you, that's something you just don't. That's a mess. You clean it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but it, it happens. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, very rare for us to have a, an opioid. Overdose here that's at this good. time. That's good. How long have you guys been in this, like you know, this Narcan and different trainings and things? Like, how long has it been kind of serious going through it and some things getting changed about how? Well, we started uh, actually having the advanced life support ambulance a little over twenty years ago, where we've got paramedics and. Uh, when we uh, got set up, Narcan was one of the first things 
one of the first drugs on the medical director's list to have on hand. So, so is there? Are you seeing more from like state level, um, as far as like where your licensing, as far you know, like the emergency the responders are concerned, as far as like seems like there's more of a push to be um, more aware of the opiate problem in the state, and you know, I think. <laughs> Here in the rural areas, I'm not seeing that so much. It's everything's really uh, concentrated to your bigger cities like St. Louis, Columbia, Kansas City, Springfield, uh, Joplin, those areas where the 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 heroin is. That seems to be the the main drug that that you know nationwide. If you'll watch the evening news. Uh, is, is one of them that they're uh, really concentrated on and to get the Narcan out there to help them. So. That's interesting. I always wonder about that. <clears throat> like how we compare to, because it seems like it's just like a, you know, the epidemic, the mm-hmm. opiate epidemic. Every time I turn around, it's all about the opiate epidemic. And- well, I do have a couple of friends who are police officers who are in bigger cities. One of them's in Quincy, and they're seeing a lot of the heroin in Quincy. They're starting to really have, a, but they're also seeing the opiate problem in Quincy. I mean, they're starting to see a lot, and with them, they're getting a lot of the um, prescription medicine, the fake prescriptions, the, the prescription medicines that were stolen from people's houses. Um, I mean, they're having a real break-in problem with, like, in, in uh, senior housing and senior apartments where, where people are going in and actually doing – in Illinois, and this is – I was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago kind of about this. Illinois is kind of a weird state compared to Missouri. But one of the things in Illinois that that is a big deal in Illinois is home invasion. They – I mean, they will – they'll call in the – They'll call in the squad on you for home invasion. That's one that they really crack down on. Because that's what's happening. A lot of home, a lot of home invasion, a lot of burglaries, getting these pills that are sitting in people's, you know, and you know the people who are doing it. They don't even bother to take them out of the. They're, they're selling them in the prescription bottles to show that they're the good quality stuff. With like the person who's with the person's playing. name on it and stuff like that. So it's, I mean, it's coming back to the point of they even know where these things are coming from because they catch somebody with the drugs. They think, know, well, this is little old lady on Eighth Street, you know. So yeah, it wasn't like. Did I tell you I, I had a friend who um, was going to have surgery, and I went with them to their. Um, I don't know what it's called, pre-surgery appointments and things. And I thought it was really interesting that the doctors were, um, I don't remember if it was the doctor or the nurse, but it was somebody who was important that they saw beforehand and they really drove home not to post on social media that you were going to have surgery or that you had just had surgery and to keep your door locked and not to tell a lot of people, um, that you were having surgery period and not to talk to anybody about what kind of pain medicine, you know, you were getting prescribed because there was a problem with people. I know. I remember one thing that really hit home to me because it made so much sense when, when Judge Redding was was talking about, you know, the people most likely to steal your pills and stuff like that are probably related to you. You know, mm-hmm. their, their kids, their grandkids, their nephews, their nieces, you know, they're the ones that are in your, in your house. So... You know, you might go and 
going to be toss that old bottle of pills or whatever and find, hey, they're not there. You know? I heard somebody, and I, I might have been at a rotary meeting, one of the medical people was talking about they have these um, basically lock boxes for your medicine for your house. Have you ever seen any of those? No. People with a lockbox? I don't know. Like a medicine safe, basically, <clears throat> for people who have pain pills? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. We've got... <laughs> we're so boring. Our stuff, you know, the, the few pills that we have, they're just so non-recreational, it's not even funny. I mean, yeah, like, if you really want to take the pills I take, because I have a little bit of high blood pressure, if you really want to take a diuretic every day, I mean, you can... It's just going to make you go to the bathroom a lot all day long. I mean, it's, it's I not really what say, I would be calling a fun for, drug. <laughs> is that for pooping? No, it's for uh, the other way. For not pooping? For peeing. Oh, okay. It makes you pee a lot. It moves the salt out of It takes the salt in your system, moves it out of your system, and it keeps your blood pressure down. Seriously. It, he's nodding his head. He knows what I'm talking about. keeps yeah. from having a fluid overload. Yeah. It keeps the fluid down. And... That, you know, as long as you're not bringing in too much salt, it keeps that down and it really drops the blood pressure. Because my, my blood pressure, for example, I'll talk about it. My blood pressure is very salt sensitive. I have real, that's when I get, whenever I have, if I ever have an episode, it's almost exclusively because I have way too much salt. But I know that now. After a trip to the emergency room to figure out, I had to, you know, actually, I saw one of your co-workers in the emergency room last year. She was bringing somebody in. It was an ambulance run. And, uh, what are you doing here? I ate too much salt. <laughs> Blood pressure, you know, when you get to get over that 200, that's not good. It's, but, anyway, pressing right along. You know, that just reminds me, getting totally off the subject of opiates. Yes. I had a situation, um, where I had a doctor's appointment and it was in Columbia and it was like 10 hours later at like 10 o'clock. It, it was not, it was much later at nighttime. I got a call from the doctor's office and they're like, we think you need to go to the emergency room. Your blood sugar is like insanely high. And the ambulance, I went over to the ambulance district and Dave did my sugar for me. Cool. You guys get people that come over all the time and need stuff. Every once in a while, yeah. I bet it's all the time. Have you? Well, he probably don't want to advertise that. So, no. I no, love, no, well, that's very not. small towny. Like I would call him on his cell phone and be like, "This is what's happening. What do I do?" And he will tell me. And that has happened. I mean, people will do that. He tells Locally. me, "Call, hang up, and call nine one one." Well, <laughs> but now, then he's over there. Have you ever got to make the ride with these good people? <clears throat> No, I've, but I've I, called for them. I've gotten to make the ride once, and uh, I don't remember. I, for the life of me, don't even remember who was on the who was on call that day. But it was back in two thousand. That's when I blew my knee out, and yeah, I could not. I could not get myself to the hospital. That's I couldn't. Been a while. Yeah, you may have even been on the call. I don't remember. It, it's been twenty. Well, it was two thousand. So yeah, I made the ride, and then, of course I. Well, uh, suffered my t- patellar tendon. I wasn't walking anywhere. So, yeah, that was fun. I made drive once, and I don't ever want to make it again. I love how small town we are. But, uh, you know, how, like, this is, this is speaking of small town, this is something that I moved here in 84, okay? And one of the first stories that I covered wasn't an ambulance story, but it was a rescue squad story. 
uh, one of the very, that was the when they were just getting their first jaws of life. They were just getting a truck set up. I mean, I don't remember when the rescue squad started, but it hadn't been going too many years before that. It had been going a while. I mean, I can even remember all the guys who were on it. Almost, you know, we all know who they are. Unfortunately, several of them have passed by now, but, you know, and uh, but I remember the jaws of life and stuff like that. But the ambulance district at that time was not nearly as advanced. Well, of course, you're advanced life support right. now. You weren't then. No, we just BLS. Yeah. And basic, life, basic life support. <clears throat> Before that, I mean, it used to, I mean, way back in the day, the funeral homes used to be the ambulance. When did the ambulance sister come around in? 70? I think 74. Okay, 74. So it was about 10 years old when I moved here. The funeral home but, was the ambulance? Yes. Yeah. Like the hearse would come for you? No, no Hudson, exactly. Hudson Reimer had the primary ambulance service before the district, and uh, he had ambulances, but they was kind of the hearse type. Yeah. You know, they weren't anything like what we have today. No, and it was like just, the they put you in the ambulance, car. they take you to the hospital, and that's, you just go for the ride. Like, hopefully you survive the ride there. Yeah, because, I mean, wow. they, but there was no, um, and then I remember, you know, I don't really. There's something I'll, I'll talk to you about sometime off the air because I don't want to bring it up on on the podcast. Uh, but um, it has to do with the fact of how much the ambulance district has changed over the years. Because I mean, really, it was it, you were much better than the okay. We're just going to stick you in the back of the hearse or the hearse style ambulance and go. But you know that advanced life support thing is a big deal. I don't think people realize. You know, this is a newer, modern thing. This hasn't been around forever. Right. You know, so your chances of living, if you have, like, a, a cardiac event, are much better now than they were 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, hugely better. Because something like a cardiac event, I mean, that's getting you to the to, to getting that medical care started, that, that, that amount of time, well, could you tell me? Could you tell, talk about the amount of time, how important that is to get somebody get that going? What do you do in a cardi- cardiac event if someone's had a heart attack? Well, one thing now we actually do twelve leads on the, out in the field. I can do it in your in your house. I can do it if you're laying out in your yard. Do a twelve lead EKG. Hopefully, I'm getting twelve shots of your heart. And I can tell where that ST elevation is coming from. And if that is happening, which is, you know, you always see the heartbeat on the side of the ambulance mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay, that's a QRS. Well, if that starts raising on uh, the one slope, you're having ST elevation, that is a heart attack happening. So, you know, then you're going to get baby aspirin. You're going to get uh, either morphine or fentanyl for pain. Also, if the weather's permitting, the helicopter. Yeah. Because time is musty. And what's going on, for one reason or another, either your heart is not receiving oxygen. That's either due to a plaque buildup, which we do not know, if it's plaque, or a blood clot. That's two reasons you have a heart attack. So, the less the vein narrows in the heart, the less oxygenated blood it gets to it, and your heart craves oxygen. That's why you start having the pain. So 
those cells in the heart actually start dying from lack of oxygen. So time is muscle. That's muscle. It cannot be replaced. So the quicker we can get you to where it's uh, definitive care where they can go and do angioplasty and open it up or actually uh, do heart bypass, the quicker that gets done, the better off you are uh, of surviving and having a lot healthier heart than if a lot of that heart muscle dies. Aren't you also able to inject some certain drugs that help in the, not just the morphine, but isn't there another, isn't, I'm trying to remember my wife was talking to me about this, there's something else that you do, um, obviously you're trying to get there as quickly as possible. Those little pills that you put under the tongue? The nitro, nitro, nitro tablets. Yeah, and see, what we're trying to do when we do that is, is uh, nitro dilates things. Mm-hmm. So we're actually dilating the vein, hoping a little more blood will get around whatever's blocking it, carrying that good oxygen-rich blood to those cells. So. And then as you're doing this, you're able to um, have this data available ahead of you. When I do a 12-lead, I can take a cell phone, mm-hmm. a dumb phone, dumb cell phone. Okay, flip phone. Flip phone, and I can transmit that to whichever hospital I want to transmit it to. That's amazing. Yeah. So they they have it. They're, they're ready By to the go. Time it's coming. It. They're seeing it. You know, it comes across on their uh, fax machine, but they can look at it and say, yeah, this is a ST. We also can call that ER and say, set up the STEMI team. No questions asked. When we get there or the helicopter gets there, they're taking you straight to the cath lab. Bypass the emergency room, straight to the cath lab. What is and the a cath cardiologist lab? is there, and Wait. he's going to do the whatever procedure it needs to go fix that heart. That's a big deal. I mean, compared to 30 years ago. Oh, 30 it's, years it's ago. Unbelievable. You know, 30 years ago, if they had nitro, if they knew they had a bad heart and had their doctor had prescribed nitro for them, they had it, we'd say, you need to take one of those. But you didn't And we it. would put oxygen on them and take their blood pressure and drive as hard as we could go to the hospital. Because we didn't even have the helicopter back then, yeah. so so back back. Let's say let's just take eighty four for example. And of course, I don't rem- expect you to remember the exact year by year. But what were you able to do for people? You could give them oxygen. Could you do an IV back then? No, no, no IV. That didn't come along until ninety seven or ninety eight. Once we was had spent twelve hundred hours training to do that. I mean, and even you know, if I understand things correctly, even. Just, I mean, stuff like having the IV open, ready to go for whenever they, you know, that's one less thing they have to do. Right. When they hit the door, like, to, to get you to the cath lab or wherever you need to go, that's one less thing they have to do. It's open. It's ready to go. They can do whatever they need to do. Boom. I mean, IVs don't take forever to start, but every minute's a minute. Yeah. You know? And heart problems is like some of the people die of heart, you know, heart attacks and things. It's like the number one killer, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a killer. <laughs> yeah. It, it it depends whether it's it's trauma or cardiac. You know, depending on what group you're going to listen, they're telling you theirs is the, the theirs number is the one highest. killer. So. What do you think? What do you see the most of? We have a lot of cardiacs, not 
an excessive amount, but a lot of a lot of respiratory troubles. One of the things that I actually think has dropped over the years is uh, strokes. We don't see them like we did years ago. I wonder why. That's interesting. I think part of that is due to everybody, you know, once you reach a certain age and you start seeing a physician, they get you on baby aspirin. Yeah. You know, a baby aspirin a day. And, and yeah, it's, uh seems like strokes has dropped way off. I bet 20 years ago we seen, you know, 75 a year and nine more. It's just very rare. No, I... I, this is something we could ask my wife because she's she's more up on that than I am. But she has a very good friend who is a physician, her one of her hiking partners, and baby aspirin is also now. Please, she'll correct me if I'm wrong, but baby aspirin also has um, very much. They're looking into the fact that it seems to be really helpful in Alzheimer's cases as well to delay the onset of Alzheimer's. There's, still, there's getting to be studies on that. So, I mean, this is, this is they, after she did the research, she started me on baby do aspirin. Do you take baby aspirin? I do. Do you take baby aspirin? Take one every night. Yeah. Every- I'm going to start taking baby aspirin. Well, for the first thing, I mean, there's really not, no harm. It's not a big enough dose to really cause you to lose, uh, to bleed more. You know, it's the dose. But, I mean, there's so many things that it does for, you know, hmm. even if you just take it prophylactically, there's there's no harm in it, except for it costs a couple bucks to buy one. And they're, you know. That's interesting. So, yeah. And it's not generally enough of a dosage. Some people are sensitive to aspirin for the stomach, but it's not really enough to do that. So yeah, we're we're on. I mean, because I mean, she, the doc is a. I don't want to get too much of the details, but she's a psychiatrist, and she deals with Alzheimer's people. And there is real serious research going on in the fact that baby aspirin helps in that too, because it's a dilator. You know, yeah, I, well, I believe it's, it's a build di- up. I think that's what it does. It's a build up on the brain. You know, but and, you know, a baby aspirin is eighty-one milligrams. Yeah, eighty-one milligrams, and. You know, when when you're having a cardiac event, we give you four. So we give you 324 milligrams. And I, I took people to the hospital, and they'll come back and they'll say, that doctor said you saved my life when you give me this baby aspirin. So, yep. You know, so we, we hand out baby aspirin pretty regular. Do you guys keep track of how many lives that you save? There's just too many. Probably some people you save them over and over again, and some people you don't really honestly know. Probably that you saved them. There's a good chance. Yeah, but you know, did you stop something before it really escalated? Chances are good, but you don't really know. I mean, some people. I mean, I would think. Trauma, I think around here you would know because you know everybody. But like, 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 I could call Brian and be like, "I'm out at so and so's house." And he would be like, oh, I know where that's at. But, you know, <laughs> so if I, if I call, am I having a hypertensive event? My blood pressure is over 200. And he gets me to the hospital. If they get it under control, did it save my life? There's a good chance. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, it was certainly worth doing, you know. So another thing, though, when it comes to, like, trauma and stuff like that, I think that would be hard. Dealing with people who have pain and stuff, that would be hard to me, especially when it's people that you know, and it's your neighbors, it's your friends, they've been in an accident, and, you know, that, isn't that hard? Isn't it hard to deal with? 
I know you got to separate yourself, but yeah, and you know, I grew up born and raised Knox County. I grew up in Knox City, and uh, of course, after I moved to Edina, of course, you know, we went to, out here to the high school, so we knew, learned people, knew people, and there's, you know, I know a lot of people here, and a lot of times, of course, when I get an ambulance call, I'm going to somebody I know. Right. I don't have a way around it. Yeah. And uh, I've I've even took members of my own family. You know, I was on the day that call come in, I go. So Do you do anything to like keep yourself I don't know, mentally healthy as far as like do you guys have protocols for that that you you and your staff we out of Kirksville they have like a um a group of people, if you have something really bad, they will come talk to you, you know. And uh, when I really feel bad about stuff, it's, there's sometimes I don't care. You follow your protocol and nothing works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Those you feel really bad because, well, what if we'd have tried this? Or if what if we'd, something. we'd have done that? But you can't second guess yourself because you're following your protocol that, you know, your medical director and some things, especially now with stroke and uh, the heart, the state has protocols from a state medical director. So if you followed all that stuff, you know, there's sometimes when there's somebody with a little more authority of us that's, that's running the show. Yeah. We're just there to help. Um, you know, and uh, but then if I have something that everything goes exactly right and it's still a bad outcome, you don't feel as bad about it then because you know you give them that best chance they could have, and it went well. But you know, like I said, there's a higher power. So after a while, you just kind of sort it out because I, I think. Uh, January made me 37 years doing this. Wow. Yeah. That's... Well, I know. Back in the day when I used to have to go out to the accidents and stuff like that, um, and without going into any of the details, because we've all been there. You know, we've all been there. We've all been there, and we've all been to some bad ones. Um, And it bothered me. It really did. Now, not all of them, but some of them, I used to... I would lose sleep, and I... I'm happy, not happy, but I'm I'm glad that we have people who can do it. I have, I mean, I have. I'm glad that we have people who can can open up the cars, can pull the people out of the cars, who can you know take care of them, no matter you know the blood, the pain. I'm glad that we have. I could not do it. And that's fine. Not everybody has to do everything. That's why we have people who, like Brian, who are professionals who can do, do it. it. Yeah, and like, we're, I'm grateful we have people. Who can I don't do it. go I could, to near as many things as you guys go to. Yeah, obviously, we. You know, I could probably count on one hand the scenes I've been to that have had like a seriously negative effect on me. But you were at every single one of them. <laughs> Yeah, which imagine that. <laughs> and I mean, and there was some situations that were just downright like I remember standing there and watching you and watching the people doing what they had 
to what had to be done. And it was such an awful atmosphere to be in. The thing is, though, this is, I'm just kind of sitting here smiling because I, I was the, the guy, the editor of the Sentinel from 84 to 90, whatever. And you were in all of them for mine too. <laughs> yeah, you were in all of them. Like I remember, I remember one. I have one specific memory of watching you doing like you were dragging. You were dragging the water. Mm. Yeah, and I, for well, all of the drowning. And I just could not. I barely held it together watching you out there drag that water and trying to make decisions on exactly what and more exactly what I was not going to be taking pictures of. Which that was one thing was that was not one of them. Which. No was probably not a great call in the newspaper standpoint, but I stand by that. Well, I remember there was one event that stands out in particular, and I'm sure you were there. I don't remember you being there, but I'm sure you were there. And that's when the tower fell. I know you were there. Everybody was there. I was in the first ambulance. Everybody was there. Okay? And I was just, I went out there, I was maybe five minutes behind you guys then, because I mean, it was like that call came in like right away, and I remember I, I the, the, the television. I don't know if you're familiar with. It I yet. know I read all about it. Okay, well, it was out there, uh-huh. but I mean, you could stand in this parking lot, look around the corner, and see it. I mean, it's it's two thousand feet. You, you can see it from yeah, you can see it from anywhere mm-hmm. in the county. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget as I was driving out there, I went up to Three Mile Corner and over. That's how I, you can go that way, or you can go to to, to Knox City, but. For some reason, I was I was actually north of town. Or I don't remember. But I, so I went out to Three Mile Corner, and then I turned on that road, and I kept looking for the dumb thing because you just got used to it being there. I just kept looking. At, well, it, it can't be down. It's it's two thousand feet. I, it can't be down. So I get out there, and those the guys who were working on it were at six hundred feet. Okay, they were at six hundred feet up. Whatever happened, happened, and I'm not going to go into that because some of their lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. Whatever happened, the tower snapped at the level they were working. Okay? The bottom half fell out. The rest of it came down. 1,400 feet came straight down. And this is this super ridiculously strong kind of steel that's just made, what, a 40-foot-high pile of spaghetti? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that was it was amazing. I've got I've got pictures. You from, do. I mean, I got a stack of pictures. That, but that the thing that, that I remember more than anything like that was that there were three men at that six hundred foot level. And you know what I'm talking about when when I show up. You know, and I, I'm here. I got my I get my camera. I I can't take pictures of this. I can't take this is no. I just this is not what I'm here to do. You know, I have to. So you know, it's it's hard. I, but that was to me. I still remember that. That happens to me a lot on crash scenes. I think that's probably why uh, you guys let me on crash scenes. Remember, the, I won't take pictures of certain stuff. Remember the first thing I ever told you about my my first piece of advice: always make sure the troopers have their hats on if you're going to take their picture. Trust me on this. If you you walk into a scene, I've got a camera. Do all the troopers have their hats on? Because they'll. Be I don't on. even. I just point at my head. Yeah, because they mean, can see. Like, oh, they'll be. Because if it's a hundred degrees and they're up underneath <clears throat> something, you know, they're not going to have their hat on. But 
They put them on. But I think since that's actually part of their uniform, they better have yeah, that. So I owe you make sure the trooper has his hat on in the picture. A lot of them will tell and me, course, don't take my picture without of, my hat on. All of our guys always wear their hats exactly like they're supposed to. This and is for people from out of the county. And I always say, you know, I'm getting ready to take a picture, so get her on. And I'll point, a lot of times if they're poking around, their hat's not going to fit into investigating a thing. They've got to like crawl in and look around and stuff. So I just wait and then I give them the signal. This is a, this was a fun conversation. Yeah, You wouldn't know we're 40 minutes into it. You wouldn't know it, but we are. And it's getting to be about that time that we need to, because you have actually have a meeting to you too. I do. I just have one more question for you. Have you seen a lot of flu cases this year? Have you taken a lot of flu people? Yes, especially in the last couple of weeks. It's really picking up. I got a, um audio from Lori, the health department administrator. Maybe we could tack that on to the end of this. or I think we're going to make an extra special podcast okay. for that. Uh, it's flu season here in the region, in the state, and they're expecting another um, peak. It should be right upon us. How do you, like, stay well? First thing, we get the flu shot. Ever fall, when they come out, we go down, health department gives us our flu shots. Uh, we have the little masks. The patient gets one, we get one. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, really? we're wearing gloves. Yeah, last year when it, it got bad, the hospital said, you guys really need you need to wear a mask and go ahead and put them. Even if we've got a, a non-rebreather on them, they said, put it over them. Try to shut it down the best you can, and that's what we do. So, and clean, 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 disinfect. Always hand wash. I, I have no cuticles left. Okay, because well, one of the things I do, I'm an IT guy, which means I'm sitting at five or six of these people's desks every day. I wash my hands before I go to their desk. I do their thing very carefully, remembering to keep my hands away from my face. And immediately, it's like, you know, you've seen the old TV shows where the surgeons walk around like this. I immediately go like this, and I walk to the kitchen, bump the thing on hot water, wash my hands, get the soap, wash them again every single time. I'm probably wash. It's like I've become a compulsive hand washer. But I'm sitting down, and I'm not going to move virusy stuff from one person to another. I'm not going to do it. If people don't think about things like keyboards, keyboards are the best way in the world to transmit disease. You don't think about that. So don't let people well, sit down at the computer. The workspace. Right? If you don't let don't let people don't share a workspace, okay? Don't yeah, share your keyboard. I don't. And another one of the the absolute worst thing and people don't think about it, exchanging money. Oh, absolutely. I carry those little alcohol uh, squirt bottle stuff. I've got, yeah, one my hands, yeah. I've got my hands where they're like drying out. But yeah. we go in the store, change money before I do anything else. I get that out. Uh, yeah. Now, here's the thing where you want to use a credit or debit card. You're you're a lot better off because you're just you're sticking it in the machine. You're not touching anything else, and you're sticking it out. Now, I've actually gotten to the point where I carry my own stylus. For their machines. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use my pen. I don't want to grab their pen. I'm not a germaphobe, but I do not want this stuff. This is a bad flu. I yeah, the health it. department's also telling people to avoid crowds. 
Yeah. So it'd be interesting because we got a court warming next week. Yeah. I, I was, I'm kind of like this because I, you know, I shoot t- sports for TV, which reminds me, we need to talk about this for just a minute. Um, Echo's like, she's going to glaze over. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> because I've had it. I see Brian, almost every time I see Brian, he's at a ball game because that's, it's usually a football game because the ambulance goes to every football game. I mean, it's just part of what, the way it is, and they park there, and they, you've seen more football games by just sitting in that ambulance. Than, yeah, a lot. <laughs> fortunately, most of the time, you don't have to make the trip, but sometimes you do. Um, but I just, I was, I'm a football fanatic. I love football, okay? I'm a football freak. But I just want everybody listening to this and our, our staff here, our, our two people, to think about, let's say I went to the school board next month. It said, I want to start a new sport. Now, the sport will pay for itself, okay? We're going to get enough fan interest, so it's not going to cost you anything. But there's a significant chance of serious injury to the athlete. So we're going to have to have the um, an ambulance there every game just in case because there's a really good chance that somebody's going to have suffer a serious or even life-changing industry or injury. What do you think the chances of me getting that past the school board would be? None. But yet we do it every week in football season. I just think that's interesting. And I'm a huge football fan. But it does make me stop. Every time I see an ambulance in a football game, I'm like, really, as, as safety conscious as our society has become, we're still doing this? Yes, we are. And the other thing that, that makes me think of that. And it's not football, but it's when I see the cheerleaders flipping themselves high up into the air over these <laughs> gym floors. And yeah, they got this little inch mat. I know they got it. Serious cheerleading injuries are a thing. We have taken the cheerleader in years past from the football game. Uh-huh. Yeah, not the football players, the cheerleaders. Because some of that stuff they're doing is insane. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I it just, is interesting. From from what I've read and seen on TV, they claim that the cheerleading and some of these schools have teams that compete. Mm-hmm. That's more dangerous than any sport they they have in the school system. Is is the cheerleading? Well, they're throwing each other all, all you know, way up in the air, <laughs> and then they've got uh, girls and guys. You know, some some of the, some of the bases are guys. Trying to catch these people who are flailing around in the air, you know somebody sooner or later is going to get hurt doing it. So, anyway, just a little aside. So, we're going to have to wrap this one up because Echo's going to have to go here. We have LEPC tonight. Are you going to do you want to go? Uh, no, I've got, I'm going to be putting all this stuff together. Because right. we have to get this, I have to get this published tonight because, because it's time to get this published. So, so thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for being our guest. We really appreciate it. You're Hope welcome. you enjoyed it. I did enjoy come it. Come back. Steve, you got to come back. All right. Come back and we'll shoot the breeze about something else. So I we're going to stick a fork in this one and talk to you later. So ta-ta for now. Ta-ta for now.